0: Good morning everyone. Thank you so much for this um, opportunity. So for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Taryn. I'm married to Greg and um, I have four beautiful children which were on the screen. We did it like 20 times people. We tried. (laughs) That recording took a long time. It was a lot of effort but it worked out. But um, thank you so much for being here today. It's um, we are in the middle of a series called He Is, and um, I am going to continue with that series this morning. But it's also Palm Sunday, as Nick was saying, he's wearing the right shirt. And um, Palm Sunday is basically an event that, in the Christian calendar, where Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And he's greeted by the people waving palm branches. And it's a reminder of us welcoming Jesus in, into our hearts and our willingness to follow him, for him to be inside of us and for him to be with us. And so I thought it was a lovely um, thing to remember that today, that um, in Hebrews 3 it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Jesus is riding in this morning, and he wants all of you, he wants you to see him, he wants you to hear him, he wants you to follow him, and he wants to be with you this morning. And so the title of my preach is called, He is with us, he is with us, isn't that amazing? And just to start off, um, Raya, our littlest, um, so the one evening we were going out with the big girls and Raya was staying at home with Nana, and um, I said to her, sorry, Raya, you can't come with us, because of whatever reason. And then she says, but Mommy, I want to come with us. I want to come with us. And what she was meaning is she wanted to be with us. She wanted to be a part of what we were doing. She wanted to go where we were going. And that's what God wants. God wants to be with us. And um, the word Emmanuel which is a Hebrew name that appears in the book of Isaiah as a sign that God will protect the house of David. But in the Gospel of Matthew, he interprets this prophecy at the birth of the Messiah and the fulfillment of Scripture in the person of Jesus. So the word Emmanuel means God with us. And um, what does that mean for God to be with us? In Hebrews 1, one two three it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us through his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. I feel like I can sit down. That's such a, <laughs> such a beautiful scripture. So most of my preach is from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. I thought maybe I should title my message Hebrews with us because it's like, <laughs> it's all from the book of Hebrews. So do yourself a favor and read the book of Hebrews this week because it is so amazing. I was like, I could not put it down. I kept reading it more and more. I was like, I could just read the book of Hebrews and sit down. It's so beautiful. So a lot of my scripture this morning is from the book of Hebrews. But what I wanted to do this morning is to paint a broad picture for you a meta-narrative of the purpose of what it means for God to be with us. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why did he have to be resurrected? Why did God have to come to earth to be with us? And it starts in the garden in Genesis 2, where God creates the world, and then he creates Adam and Eve, and Then it says, Adam and Eve were both naked, and they felt no shame. Man and woman walked with God in the garden. There was no sin. There was no shame. They were in communion with God. And then in Genesis 3, evil entered the world. And then what happens is through sin, we were separated from God. So Adam and Eve had to leave the garden, and there was a separation. And in Galatians 1-4, it says, that we entered into the evil present, or the present evil age, which actually currently we are still in, but it's not the end of the story. So what God does, is now that Adam and Eve have exited the garden, we see through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, Moses, all these amazing people, that God establishes a covenant with them. And this is the old covenant. It's a covenant is an agreement that he has made between God and the people. And so the way that the people in the Old Testament communed with God was through a priest. And so what they would do is they would have to bring sacrifice and offering of animals and blood needed to be shed for people to commune. And they had to go through a priest. You couldn't just go and speak to God like we do today. You had to go through a priest. Then in David's time, there was a tabernacle that was built, and there were the outer courts and the inner courts and the Holy of Holies. And God's presence lived in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. Imagine that. And it was in the Holy of Holies. And the Old Testament describes it so beautifully. But there's one story in the Old Testament that I want to just quickly tell you. And um, I actually wanted to read it, but it's better if I tell you because it's quite long. But it's in 2 Samuel 6. And it goes along. So David is heading out to the city um, of Israel with 30,000 men and women. And they're going. And as they're heading out, they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant with them on some oxen. Okay? And there are two guys that are around the Ark and... The oxen slip, and the ark, like, nearly falls to the ground. But Uzzah, this guy who's by the ark, reaches out to catch it, which I'm sure any normal person would do, right, if the ark of God fell down. He reaches out to catch it, to stop it, and he gets struck dead. So David is, like, completely, like, overwhelmed. He is like, there is no ways I want the ark of the covenant where I'm going. So, he takes the Ark of the Covenant, and he leaves it in a guy's house called Obed-Edom. So, Obed, the Ark of the Covenant is in Obed-Edom's house, and while the Ark of the Covenant is there, so inside the Ark of the Covenant is God's very presence, okay? So, Uzzah died because he touched it. So, this this box is in Obed-Edom's house, and then in the scripture it says that Obed Edom began to be blessed and there was favor upon him and things yeah things began to go well with him and so David said hey I actually want God's blessing so he takes the ark of the covenant and what it what he does is he's so proud of what it is, he dances freely, it says he worships, and he rejoices, he plays instruments, and every six steps, he's like, I don't want to die, so every six steps, they sacrifice an animal, just to make sure that, you know, it's covered, and um, they get to the city, and he dances, that's where he dances wildly, and his wife is like, I can't believe you being so wild, and he's like, I will be unashamed of God's presence, and there's this beautiful story. And so that's God's presence in a box, and that's in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. And the Old Testament, there are many prophecies and many words about Jesus' coming, but also about the end of the age, which is the consummation of time, which is when Jesus returns, that is the second coming. So there are lots of prophecies throughout the Old Testament about this, but in the Hebrews 8, um, verse 8 to 13. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. And so what he's basically saying there is that this old way of doing, of coming to God's presence will eventually become obsolete when Jesus comes. And so now I want to take you through the most amazing thing, which is when Jesus comes, right? Because this is why we're here, right? We're here because of Jesus, let me just have a sip. Okay. So I want to tell you about this new covenant. Because I feel this morning like some of you are still living with an old covenant mindset. And God wants to break that. He wants you to remind you of the new covenant that he's made with us. Okay. So Jesus breaks into this current evil age with a plan. With the future age. He breaks in. So think of it like here is creation. Here is the evil age. Jesus breaks in through with a future age. We actually still in the evil age, but at the end of time when Jesus returns, will be the consummation and the future age will be established. But he comes into the evil age right now, well 2000 years ago, and in and he becomes God incarnate, which basically means God in the flesh. He is He takes on a human nature and becomes a man in the form of Jesus Christ. So God himself comes to earth. He thinks, I'm just tired of this old covenant way. I actually have another plan. And so he comes to earth. And in Hebrews 2, verse 14 to 16, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. And then further down, it says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he was able to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus became human like you and me, but he was still God. So he was God incarnate. He was in the flesh, but he was still God. I've got some slides. I want to take you through these seven points. Um, So that's, number one is the incarnation, which is basically a big word for God in the flesh. So God is with us in the flesh. And when Jesus is born, um, it says a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when Jesus came, it was God with us with us on earth, okay? The second point is Jesus' life, okay? So in his life, when we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus defeated sin because he said to people, your sins are forgiven. He defeated sickness because he said to people, pick up your mat and walk, and eyes of the blind be open. He defeated the demons and the devil because it's He commanded the demons to come out of people and the demons obeyed him. He defeated death in his life because he raised Lazarus from the dead. So Jesus came to the earth with a mission and a message and in his life, throughout the gospels, we see how he overcame the present evil age with this future age. And then the most beautiful thing and the most Yeah, well, for us, it it really is, um, is the death of Jesus. And so what happens is Jesus becomes the ultimate sacrifice. Um, He becomes a suffering servant, and he drinks the cup of God's wrath. Jesus was judged in our place to make atonement. And atonement, you could remember as atonement. He made us one with God. And he is the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies that, that I was talking about. So Alexander Fenter says that he came with his mission and his message and his ministry all about the kingdom of God. And he breaks through into this world. And then in his death, it says here in Hebrews ten eight, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. So that's what David and them were doing in the old covenant. Though they were offered in accordance with the law, so though it was the right thing to do, it was, what's, it was what God had said. In verse 9 it says, Then he, Jesus said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first, the first covenant to establish a second, to establish the second covenant, which is what we are in now. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ once and for all. So when Jesus died on the cross, he was the ultimate sacrifice. So now, no longer do we have to sacrifice animals to to be in God's presence day after day um, in Hebrews 10. Every priest stands to perform religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he awaited for his enemies to be made his footstool. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And so when Jesus died that curtain in the Holy of Holies was torn, and the old covenant was over. And Jesus said, it is finished. And then he died, and he was in the tomb for three days. And just as Jonah in the Old Testament was in the belly of a whale, it says that says in Matthew 12 that Jesus was the Son of Man, will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And then after that, we see the glorious resurrection, which is where Jesus comes back to life. And an angel appeared to the woman who came to the tomb and said to her, do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. And so... Jesus rises from the dead, he overcomes death, and then we see his ascension. So his ascension is 40 days later, after his resurrection, Jesus ascends to heaven. And this is basically his coronation. It's where he sits down at the right hand of God. In Hebrews 4.14, it says, Jesus, the great high priest, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And what happens is Jesus becomes our high priest. We don't have to go through a priest anymore. We now have Jesus, our great high priest, who who can relate to us, who's been through temptation, who's been through hardships, and we are able to, he's able to meet our needs. And he sacrificed once and for all. And so he's sitting in heaven next to Father God, enthroned in all glory, and it says that he um, makes petition, and he prays, and he intercedes on our behalf as his people. And then 10 days later, after he's sat down on the throne, where he still is now, he says to Father God, okay, should we pour out the Holy Spirit? And then 10 days later, there's Pentecost, which is where the Holy Spirit gets poured out upon the disciples in the upper room. And the Holy Spirit, because, you know, when Jesus was on earth, he says, I must go so that the Holy Spirit can come. He is the comforter. He is the one who leads us into all truth. In Hebrews 10, it says that the Holy Spirit... Testifies, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Their sins I will remember no more. And so we have the amazing, most beautiful presence of God available to us inside our bodies, inside our temples. So we no longer have the Ark of the Covenant. And then, just to finish off the story, because it ends over here, with the return of Christ, where he's coming back. So he's seated on his throne, but he's coming back to earth, he, which will be the consummation of the ages. Um, so we currently have the kingdom of God with us here now in the present evil age, through his presence and his power of the Holy Spirit. And we await the consummation of Christ's return. So that's what we are doing now, is we are waiting for Christ's return. We have eternity in our hearts. So if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have eternity in your heart right now, but you're still in the flesh. Your body is still growing old. But you have heaven and you have Jesus, his very presence inside of you. And in 1 John 2, 28, it says, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. And in Hebrews, it says, In just a little while, he who is coming will come, and he will not delay. And I just want to say prophetically, the Spirit and the bride say, Come, Lord Jesus, come. And so this is a summary, very brief for you, and look, each point could actually be a preach in itself, but this is the great meta-narrative that we are a part of, you and me in Christ. We are a part of this amazing story, and there's something I want to share, and just use your imagination with me. So you arrive in heaven one day when when you die, and you see Moses you run up to Moses and you say, Moses, what was it like to part the Red Sea, to walk through to eat manna from heaven? And then you run and you see David and you say, David, what was it like to slay a giant and to dance by the Ark of the Covenant in that story that I told you? And they turn around and they say, what was it like? to have the very presence of a holy God live inside of you. (laughs) And I just think, how clean must we be for a holy God to live inside of us? How clean must the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice make us For God's very presence, just think about it, Uzziah touched the box and he died. But now, Jesus has made a way that his very presence, through the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us. And so this is why, the question is, why does God want to be with us, God with us? Because he wants us with him. He wants intimacy with us. This is why he died on the cross. He wants connection. He wants relationship. Can you imagine a marriage where you just ships in the night? You don't even talk to each other. There's no intimacy. That's a terrible thing. We don't, that's not what is intended for marriage. Marriage is meant to be an intimate, beautiful thing. And God wants that in your marriage, by the way. But he wants that relationship with you where you are intimate with him, where he is inside of you and he is talking and walking with you. And and for today, you know, what I, I was saying is some are some of you living with an old covenant mindset where you think that your proximity to God is based on your performance. And so you're like, well, I've read the Bible this week. I've come to church. I've crossed the granny across the road. You know, you've done all these good things. But you think that your proximity, now I can pray because I did those things, is based on what you've done. But your proximity to God in the new covenant is not based on you and what you do. It's based on the person Jesus Christ. So every time you come into God's presence— you say, oh, I'm covered by Jesus' blood. I've got Jesus inside of me. What he's done, I'm walking with inside. And so if you don't have confidence in your relationship with God this morning, my desire and my encouragement to you is that that would change because you can have confidence. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what sin. It doesn't matter because you come to Jesus in repentance. He washes those things away and then he allows you to enter in. And the answer is repentance. Repentance means to change the way that you think, to change the way that you think. If you've been living out of an old covenant mindset, today it must change. You need to repent and say, God, I'm sorry that I've thought of you and I can access you based on how I perform. Where actually, I can access you through Jesus, your son. And We realize that God wants to be, he wants to be in you, he wants to be with you. He wants to have communion with you. The definition of communion is sharing or exchanging intimate thoughts and feelings in in all ways, mentally, physically, spiritually. And we as his people are consecrated to him in a new covenant. We have a new and living way. We, that Jesus has paid for, we have the Holy Spirit available to us. And my prayer is, God, I will not move from here unless your Spirit goes with me. I want your Spirit with me. And I, I, I'll end off by reading this amazing scripture from Hebrews 10. But the other day, I'll just share a story. Um, I was sitting at um, strollers, which is basically a women's shelter down in town, and I was sitting there with these beautiful ladies. We um, ministered, to them, ministered to them with a home group together on a Wednesday afternoon, and I was sitting there, and they were all sitting in a circle, and there was, a, there was an empty chair in our circle, and I just stopped, and I had this revelation. I was like, God is with us. Right now, in this circle, he is sitting, and I thought, I said to them, if Jesus was here in the flesh, like he was when he came in the incarnation, if he was here, I bet you he would be sitting right here on this chair with these ladies, because I was like, Jesus loves the downcast and the broken and the needy, and Jesus was right And we could feel his presence in that moment. And I said, he is here. He is here through his Holy Spirit. He is with us. And I don't know about you, but I want God with me, and I want to be with God. And we can approach his throne with confidence. And for you, the question could be, where is Jesus? Because I want you to be right where he is for you in your life. Is he maybe in a prison? Is he in a shack? Is he in a hospital? Is he in your bedroom with the door closed? Is he at your dining room table? And my one friend, Nelly, she always says when she prays, she puts out another chair and she says, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Just to help her to remember that the Holy Spirit is there with her. And we get to go with the gospel, with the message that Jesus has made a way through us, And I'm going to end with reading the scripture, and then what we're going to do is we are going to commune with God. We are going to take communion, which is the very word commune, exchange with God. We're going to eat his flesh and drink his blood, and we are going to commune with him this morning, but I'll just read the scripture, and then while Greg plays the song, what you can do is, I'd really love you just to go get some... Grape juice and some some bread, and then come and sit at your chair and just allow the song to minister to you, but commune with God. Allow the Holy Spirit to move and be with you this morning. And the, the scripture is Hebrews 10, and it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And he says, Are you ready? Do you know me? Are you intimate with me? That's what he's looking for. And today, you can be intimate with him because of the sacrifice that he has made, because of this new covenant. So I would like you, you can go and get some communion and commune with God. Fix your gaze on him. Put the distractions of your phone and people away and commune with him this morning. Eat of him, drink of him this morning.